0: You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Welcome to Coffee and Clergy, I'm Pastor Doug Chenberg, I'm Pastor Scott Pitch, and we're glad to have you back with us one more time uh, today. We've been out, actually off, we should probably say welcome back to Coffee and Clergy as much as anything, because we've been off for the summer, uh, especially the month of July, so we're excited to be back with uh, fresh, fresh energy, fresh perspective, and we're excited to have you here with us uh, today. Whether you're listening live or you're listening uh, later to our uh, podcast, we want to welcome you, uh, uh, to Coffee and Clergy. Coffee and Clergy, if it's your very first time with us, is simply uh, a way for Pastor Doug and I to, for ourselves, to get into the Word and to get into Word with God's people at King of Kings and outside of King of Kings, too. I know we have a lot of listeners who aren't members of our congregation, and I think that's great. Um, I would encourage more of that if we can even get that, is to have more people join us in our discussion. Um, we're starting a new series today on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, we've, let's see, I'm trying to track up where we've gone so far. So uh, we started off with the book of Romans, and then we uh, did the book of Mark. Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. And then last time we did Genesis part one, and we got through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And now we are on to Ecclesiastes. So. Yeah. What is Ecclesiastes? That's probably a good place to start. P- many people might not be familiar with it more than just the fact that it's a book in the Bible. They might not know what it is.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a book in the Old Testament. It's a part of the uh, poetry section of of the Old Testament, and uh, uh, the word Ecclesiastes really means kind of an assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll find out that uh, the person that's talking in the book of Ecclesiastes is called teacher or preacher, mm-hmm. depending on your translation, but yeah, uh, they gather together with a group of people and mm-hmm. and uh, share some wisdom.
0: Yeah, the word that they use, I, I, I don't like to get into the languages too much, but there's a couple of words we'll talk about that um, that have meanings in, in the original Hebrew that bring to life something more, so it's worth going into. Uh, the word that they use is kohelet, which is the a word for a person who leads an assembly. So you could say that the person at your pep rally in high school who led the pep rally was a cohelet, or yeah. the person who uh, leads a political rally is a cohelet, or Probably more likely in the scripture it would be someone leading a religious assembly, like a priest or a, uh, a teacher or a preacher or something like that. So that's the, the term that they tend to go with. And I think the one we're going to go with in our uh, new international version for the most part is teacher. Um, but just be aware that uh, the word that's used there is the person who is, in, is overseeing or, or bringing together uh, an assembly of people. So the first question they have here uh, on our page that we're going off of that's a good question to bring up is, if you were to give kind of a simple 10,000-foot overview of Ecclesiastes, how would you describe it? So let's talk about that for a minute.
1: Okay. Uh, If I were to describe an overview, it would be, um, how does the world—how do people in the world see the world uh, without God? Mm -hmm. And so without God, the the world (laughs) is—we would say the world is empty, it's meaningless— Uh, uh, people kind of, uh, there's phrases that they use throughout Ecclesiastes, a chasing after the wind, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's just an emptiness there. And uh, God is the one that gives us meaning and purpose. And so we'll talk about how all that fits together as we work through the book.
0: I think uh, in addition to it being the distinction between those who believe and don't believe in God, there's a unifying factor, which is given in Ecclesiastes, that whether or not you believe in God or don't, a thing you have to contend with is that for people to be wise, they need to confront the reality uh, of the world around them. And the reality of the world around us is not is one that show, <clears throat> that shows that things are impermanent, that things don't have a sense of lasting weightiness to them. They instead are uh, here today, gone tomorrow, good things. And also bad things, right? We have seasons where it's good, seasons where it's bad. We'll get to the exact chapter that talks about seasons in life. Um, but but the thing that the teacher wants us to know is when we put our meaning and our identity in the things that are impermanent in the world, we are not being wise. And so he doesn't exactly expressly give <clears throat> until the very end of the book, uh, any kind of direction for the listener. Instead, he's trying to convince us that we get caught up in all of these frivolous pursuits, these chasings after the wind. And um, and so uh, we'll get to a word that's used later on often uh, in, in when we start reading through Ecclesiastes. But um, let's go on to the next one. Uh, why is Ecclesiastes important today?
1: Well, what do you think? Uh, I see people with a very... Uh, a lot of people have a cynical attitude. There are things that go wrong. There, uh, the world just doesn't happen. Things don't happen in the world the way we expect them to, mm-hmm. and we expect great things to happen, uh, and we find that things fall apart. We um, we have great hopes for things of the future to all come together, and in a sense, they many times all fall apart, and um, and we're we're left with this again, this emptiness because. Things of the world don't last. and um, no, but Nobody sets out at the
0: beginning of a pursuit or sits down to plan things long-term or their life and say, and it's going to fall apart.
1: Here and here and here.
0: <laughs> and I'm going to hate everybody and mm. I'm going to blame God for it. But that's mm. so often what happens when, when things don't go according to people's plans.
1: Yeah. So as we as we kind of look at the book, are there some specific topics that you are looking forward to talking about?
0: Well, I think when you when you do look at the book at a high perspective, one of the things there's a couple of categories that they bring in um, things like work, things like how we handle time, things like how we handle life that ends in death for everyone and these are these are things that people who aren't even christians need to learn to contend with in life Absolutely. to have any kind of you know secular happiness of course as christians we would say that there's a a higher pursuit than simply being you know content and happy in life and uh we would say that there's something beyond this life that matters too mm-hmm. but we should also suggest that the only thing about being a christian that matters shouldn't just be our afterlife this life today matters as well, and so I'm interested to get into some of those categories from a from a Christian perspective of how we deal with things like the efforts we apply to our work when things don't pan out the way we want at work, or or when our marriages aren't going quite the way we wish they would go, or um, when we find time either passing slowly or racing by, depending on the perspective, or how we contend with aging, how we contend with illness, and how we how we handle the ultimate reality of our of our mortality um, these are big existential questions that everyone must contend with in life
1: yeah I think there's also a background um, for me anyway there's kind of a background calling by God um, just to remind us to look at the world mm-hmm. and and as we do uh, again there are so many things that don't happen the way that we think Think they should, and and God wants us to realize that without Him as a part of this world, as a part of our life, um, things do fall apart. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's this background of God inviting us, saying, "Look at the world," but inviting us to to have a relationship with Him, yeah, and to continue on in that relationship.
0: And the ultimate destination that I think they go to is when they bring God into the equation. They they do so to showcase that the pursuit of him and the fear of him is enough to find purpose and meaning. And then all these other things that we seek to find purpose and meaning in life, they may not f- provide that for us, but we can be content living in them in the here and now, rather than seeking after what they can give us <clears throat> as an ultimate fulfillment of purpose. So that's, that's something I really am looking forward to getting
1: into. There. Yeah. There's a, there's a passage of scripture that I've used, um, uh, a few times, um, in funerals, and that's taken from Ecclesiastes, chapter three. It talks about there's a a time for everything and a season for every activity. Uh, but that section ends uh, talking about that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, and so He reminds us that there's something more to live for than just the things of this world. Definitely. We'll and hop so hop
0: into the into the book. Yeah. Well, if let's... you have your Bibles with you, we can go ahead and invite you to take out your Bible, flip open to Ecclesiastes. Uh, chapter one. It is in the in the midst of the wisdom literature, so it's. Uh, I guess maybe we should mention the authorship of this. I think that's something that's important. Um, when you open Ecclesiastes, you'll see that there's an opening sentence that says, "The words of the teacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem." So the question is, who who is that? And then the other question is, who is the teacher? Um, this is kind of uh, bounced around in in the world of. A biblical scholarship, but the consensus seems to be that the teacher, it, the one who's the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, is Solomon. He's writing wisdom literature for us. Um, there's sort of a sense that maybe this is a, a mature, elder Solomon after a life uh, where he's made mistakes, a life where he's learned from those mistakes, a life where he's done things well, where he's gained wisdom, where he wants to share that wisdom with a reader. So he's a teacher. He's assembling together people around him to benefit from his wisdom. But then who's the author? Who's the one writing the words? We think this is a rhetorical device used by Solomon and applying it to writing to uh, actually elucidate uh, the information. So I think that the way that most scholars think about this is that Solomon is actually creating sort of a character, Called the Kohelet, called the teacher, as a means of instructing the people. But he's the one who's actually pinning this, and he's using some, it's almost like he's using some side of his personality to teach in a way that appeals to the cynicism of the world and appeals to people who go after false pursuits. And so he's creating this, it's like if I were to sit down and write a book, and there would be a narrator in the book, it's not me, but there's a narrating person in the book. Um, to teach people about eating healthy or something like that. And his name was, you know, Dr. Dave or something like that. Uh, now, I'm trying to instruct people how to eat healthy. Uh, I, it's laughable that I would be the one to teach people how to eat healthy, but um, I would be the one having that goal or that pursuit, but I would use this character that I've created to effectively and sort of rhetorically and emphasize um, the, the thing I'm trying to get across. I think that's what's going on here in Ecclesiastes. So... Um that's, that's Ecclesiastes, where we begin in 1 verse 1, is the words of the teacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem.
1: So we're going we're gonna to read through verses 1 through 11, and this first half of chapter 1 is what we're going to look at today. So um, I can go ahead and read. Uh, it says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is Meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here today long ago. It was here already long ago, and it was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow.
0: So, this is kind of bleak. I'll be the first one to confront it, and to be honest about it, I mean, you think of the scripture as fulfilling, uplifting, sustaining, and creating hope within us, and then we have this Kohelet, this teacher character, comes in and says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is utterly meaningless. And I think that showcases that this book of Ecclesiastes is a different kind of book. It's not here to give you warm, fuzzy feelings. I often wonder how people who are biblical but also lean towards a prosperity gospel style contend with the book of Ecclesiastes. You yeah. know, I I don't understand how you can read Ecclesiastes 1 and think that everything's going to turn out great for you if you just have trust in God, right? Yeah. That you're going to have all the money in the world, you're going to have good health, you're going to have a nice, happy family—
1: and they might they might say that there are challenges along the way, yeah. but the overall end goal will be that you'll you just be, have faith, right? Yeah, you you'll faith. you'll be happy and healthy, and and everything will be okay.
0: And and uh, this this book of Ecclesiastes wisely, I'm going to keep bringing that word up because that's what this is. This is wisdom literature, and it's trying to say you can have that perspective, but you will get bit by it if you think everything's going to turn out the way you think it's going to. You are dead wrong. Because there's going to be something in your life, whether it be minor or major, that's going to fall apart on you, because that's the way life is. That's the way the world operates, because it's yeah. subject to sin. So let's talk about that word meaningless, maybe. Yeah. That's a good word to... Um, yeah, the,
1: the Hebrew word is hevel. Hevel. And it, it has a number of different meanings. It can mean vanity or breath or mist or meaningless... Uh, I kind of like that word mist or fog because um, it it appears that something is there, yeah. but if you try and grab a hold of it, there's absolutely nothing there. Yeah, it it's differs. it's your hand is empty. Yeah, and um, and yet we find that it appears thirty times here in this book of Ecclesiastes, and. Um, yeah. um, uh, another picture, I, Pastor Scott and I were talking the other day, another picture that, or image that could be used is in the same way uh, you see smoke, uh, but you try and grab at smoke, and again, there's nothing in your hand when you open up your hand.
0: And yet smoke is real. It's actually there. It's not an illusion. Yeah. It's just something that if you try to p- possess it or gain control over it or utilize it, it won't cooperate. Yeah. And so you get this sort of sense whenever— Whenever the teacher says meaningless, meaningless, sometimes in in translations they use the word vanity, um, vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. Um, the translations in English lose something. When we, that's why we want to bring in this this hevel word. It's used meaning the most direct translation would be something along the lines of um, of like uh, sort of uh, unattainable or or without use or purpose or, or something like that. But the literal translation of it is, is smoke or mist or a thing which is sort of um, fluid and yeah. is un, unable to be contained or grasped. And, and so you get that meaning, it grows, and you understand better what it is that the, the teacher is trying to say when you say meaningless, meaningless. Um, it's, it's hevel, hevel. Uh, smoke, smoke, everything is like smoke. Everything that we pursue in this life is smoke. And then they talk about things like labors, generations, the sun, the wind, everything that we fill our days with, the ears, the eyes, um, everything that we, we seem to value and put our trust and our hope in, um, everything that we seek to improve upon in our life in in the grand scheme of things. It's not to say it's it's bad or it's good, what it's trying to say is it is fluid, it is smoke, it is something which is there, but it, if when you try and make your whole life about that thing, it disappears. It goes mm-hmm. away.
1: Again, remind, reminding us that there's something more to life than just what we see around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, the, at the end of verse two, it says, the teacher indicates that everything is meaningless, and as we look at the rest of this chapter one, uh, why would the teacher make this? Why does he make this statement? We've kind of been talking about it. Yeah. Um, um,
0: because he sees people around him in his life. He probably had uh, personal examples from his life where he tried to put a heavy emphasis on the things in his life to fulfill him, to give him purpose, to give him meaning, to uh, make him happy and make life feel like it has been worth living. Um, sometimes the book of Ecclesiastes gets described as kind of a, a nihilistic book, but it's not. Actually, it's a realistic book. It's not here to try and take everything that you love in life and everything that you're about and, and destroy it and make you seem like you're just adrift in a sea of nothing. Instead, it's trying to show you that by putting your trust in that, you're actually throwing yourself voluntarily into a sea of nothing. And that the the wise man confronts the reality of his life that the things he's so keen to pursue will eventually lead him to that end yeah. uh, of, of being adrift in a sea of nothing.
1: Yeah. And, and again, it's only with God that those things are seen as gifts mm-hmm. and can truly be valued and we can give thanks to God for them.
0: And so, it just real quick, if you have your Bible and your Bible has uh, headers in front of the you know chapters and the verse things, if you kind of go forward a couple pages, you'll see that there's you know wisdom is meaningless, pleasures are meaningless, um, wisdom and folly are meaningless, toil is meaningless. So you get you get this impression that he's establishing this idea of hevel, which we'll use as meaninglessness, to try and showcase all of the different things in life that people seem to spend all their time thinking about, chasing after, after, and saying, why are you wasting so much of your precious life spent with your mind totally dedicated towards trying to capture, control, influence those Those hevel things that, that you can't grab control
1: over. Another maybe another way to say that is in the in the first commandment it says you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. And these are things that people try to make out as their god. Yeah. Um, they don't or...
0: expressly the the teacher doesn't expressly say idolatry, but that's really what this comes down to. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a flaw of the human heart trying to place as the highest good in our life things which don't deserve to be there. Things of this world
1: mm-hmm. instead of God Himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And and so in in verse three it says the teacher uh, um, talks about what does man gain for all of his labor and the uh, this question is repeated throughout Ecclesiastes and so why is the teacher here questioning the significance of people's people's work stating that it's again pointless a pointlessness of life and creation. Um,
0: um, yeah, get ready for the rhetorical question, because the teacher uses rhetorical questions a lot, because the answer is, is evident, it's plain, it's self-evident, if you want to use mm-hmm. the constitutional lang- or the declaration language. It's self-evident, that when he asks, what does a man gain from all his labor under which he toils under the sun? Essentially, the answer is hevel, it's meaninglessness, it's purposelessness, yeah. it floats away, and you end up with nothing, yeah. Right, you can labor your whole life, you can toil under the sun, and you can just as easily end up with nothing as yeah. with something, some, something great.
1: Yeah, and we see that that people in every age go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, they they strive after these things and they come up with nothing. And um, and then he goes on to 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 give some examples, um, um, you know, and in, and. In, in one hand, sometimes we again we could look at this and and um, we could kind of despair. Um, 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 but why should these words not cause us to despair?
0: Yeah. I, the thing that I always keep in mind is when when we're talking about these things, when we're talking about wisdom and pleasures in life and what our labor and our toil grant to us. Uh, The teacher is not trying to convince us that these are things which are evil or bad, right? Right. No, God himself would would definitely say laboring is good. That's what we're here to do, to be people who work, to be people who enjoy the pleasures of his creation, who seek and attain wisdom. None of these things in and of themselves are bad, but it's an idea of, of idolatry. When they become the highest good after which we find all our purpose and meaning in what we pursue, then it's bad. So we shouldn't be in despair, Simply because he's pointing out a reality for our good. This is like, I, I always bring everything back to parenting because I'm in that life right now. I'm in that that cycle of life with my son. And I just think about parents, uh, you know, the kid wants to play with that bright, shiny thing, but that bright, shiny thing is the... An example I use in my household is we have a carbon monoxide detector in the hallway right next to our kitchen, and it has this little bright, shiny display on it, and my son wants to go over and play with it and punch numbers on it, and if he does that, it's going to blare really loudly at him and scare him really bad, and I don't want that to happen, so I keep telling him, don't go over there, don't touch that Mm -hmm. thing. And that's essentially what's going on here, is the teacher is trying to give us wisdom, and wisdom is not always a sugar pill. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't, it's sometimes it's bitter and we don't like it. So we shouldn't despair because this is actually the teacher speaking to us in love. He wants us to know wisdom and to avoid folly. He wants us to be able to put God in his, in his right place on the throne of our heart and avoid putting other pursuits there. Your
1: story of your son reminded me of a story with my son. Uh, We used to go out and eat at different restaurants, and and, uh, like McDonald's has a Happy Meal, they would have some kind of toy that came with the meal. And I remember going to one of these restaurants one time, and uh, my son got uh, a little car, and he was just so happy to get this car, and he was playing with it, but within the first 10 minutes, it broke. Mm. And he just came to me with tears, and he said, Dad, look and And it was one of those lessons where the things of this world yeah. never last yeah. um, um, and they're That's absolutely the, heartbreaking <laughs> yeah it, it is it's it is heartbreaking but it's 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 a lesson of life <laughs> yeah. um that that we can't ultimately trust again in the things of the world yeah. and God gives us good gifts he wants us to enjoy them but if if we place them in the place of God, they will ultimately break and fall apart because they can't they can't They can't be in that place. Um, And and it's
0: like, well, you would say, well, of course, a cheap toy from a restaurant is going to break. Of course it does. But then we put all our trust in other human creations that we say are quality. And when you look at those quality human pursuits compared with the quality of a divine thing that God has in place for us, could they ever compare? We should look at all human things, all earthly goods, all good things in this life as that little cheap. Plasticy fall apart. McDonald's Happy Meal toy because, compared with God's goodness, they don't they don't measure up at all.
1: They can never last. Um, looking at verse eleven, in verse eleven it says that few people make any significant impact on the course of world history, and while most people live and while well, most people live and die in obscurity. So, how does verse eleven drive home the point that was talked about in verse four? Um, and maybe we should take a moment to look at both of those verses again. Uh, specifically, verse eleven says there is uh, no remembrance of men of old, and even those who uh, are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow, mm-hmm. and then in verse four it says, "Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever."
0: Just on the surface of it, it's really interesting. This this is Solomon reading these words, and we remember him. Yeah. You know? So, but but the the thing is, in eternity is a long time. God's plan for for humanity is a long time, but not in compare comparison to eternity, God's yeah. eternity. So uh this is starting to confront what we'll read a little bit more when we start talking about time. Um, the teacher has some things to say about the way we perceive time uh, and this is starting to allude to that as saying that things things that we pursue after to try and give us prestige and honor in the eyes of of you know men don't last. and And the reality is with the with the notable exception of, you know, a couple hundred people throughout all human history. We don't remember them. I mean, how many people remember who the ninth King of England was? He was a big deal during his time and everyone in the kingdom and everyone in foreign kingdoms knew the guy's name. Nobody today does. I mean, some people do. They can go research it and look it up, but it's not like it's a household name on the edge of people's tongue.
1: Kind of reminds me of our sermon series that we're going through. We're talking about um, uh, and celebrating the 200th year of Missouri, and we're talking about... Missourians who have had a significant impact, but there are others that are, are virtually unknown, uh, that may have had a big impact on them. And we talked about one such person this last week at a bud yeah. and, uh, you know, we asked the congregation how many people have ever heard of at a bud and I don't know if anyone raised their nope. hand.
0: Well, Kathy Chinberg, she researched it. it yeah. Put it together, But other than that, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And, um, and so, again, we can, we can get this uh, cynicism uh, out of this book. And um, so where does this come from, and why does the author uh, uh, speak of it? Uh, again, we've kind of been talking about this, um, um, uh, but it, it comes from the fact that, again, we try and find significance on our own. Um, uh, the author looked for it. People sought after it. Um, um, and yet, there's nothing that's new. Um, no one is remembered. The earth goes on. Things continue to happen. Uh, things fall apart. Um, they don't go as we expect. And so, it would be easy to see how people could have this cynical, mm-hmm. um, uh, cynical side to life. Yeah. We see that I think today because of uh, the COVID virus, there are people that are are, are frustrated and and doubtful and confused um, so what are we going to do? We've kind of, with the yeah. mask mandate, we've kind of had that frustration. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, uh, it would be very easy to get cynical and say, what's the use? And we just want to throw up our hands and give up.
0: Mm-hmm. And you could say that the teacher here is being cynical, but there's a difference, I think, between being cynical and being realistic. Mm-hmm. And I mean. Uh, you could say that a a wartime reporter during World War II reporting on the facts on the ground could be cynical, right? Or is he being realistic and recording what's actually happening? Yeah. And if what's happening is t- is horrible, yeah, it sounds cynical to someone who's you know eating cotton candy yeah. and playing video games, right? And they but
1: may yeah. even express their doubts in the midst of writing down the history. Yep. Uh, how can th- How could things turn out well? How could things come out right? Seeing all the things that are going on.
0: And so I think that's the difference is why while many people in this life do get cynical, like truly cynical, and they don't find any way for life to turn out well or the situation that they're in to turn a positive side, it's it's because a lot of times we see cynical people as cynical even though they're being realistic. And um, they, need to, they need help to get out of a, a cynical viewpoint if they truly are being cynical. But sometimes it's like when you talk about um, you know, people who've endured hard and terrible things in their life, they turn cynical because that's their defense mechanism, because their expectation is realistic that bad things are going to happen to them. Uh, the the teacher here is being, I put in air quotes, cynical about life, but, when you, but he's helping us to confront the fact that he's not actually being cynical at all. He's being very realistic because his eyes are open to the damage that's being done in people's lives because they're focusing on all the wrong things. Yeah. It's not after Chase after the
1: things of the world. And so, so there, there are some other themes that we see, uh, in this book. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about as Christians, we talk about the grace of God. So do we see any grace, uh, in this book of Ecclesiastes? And if so, uh, where do we find it?
0: We certainly do. We've probably not seen very much yet, but I think this is uh, Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible, and even though it's a book which is very pragmatic and very um, focused on kind of the world that's here and now today, it still has this this sense of things like idolatry, and so even though idolatry, we would say it's the first commandment, which is obviously the law. The law helps to show us our need for a savior, and that that can be then an opportunity for someone to speak in and say, and God is the solution to this problem, and that would be the gospel. So we're not quite there yet, and that is probably one thing we should point out. We talked about the difference between the teacher and the author, the author being the one who wrote the first sentence in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's an interesting thing to look at when you go to the very end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 14, I believe it is, sorry, 12, I was thinking verse 14. Um, it ends at 1214. Um, the last section that's that's called, the, the category is called conclusion on the matter. Um, the sentence right before that ends meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And he ends the same way he began, which is rather a cynical perspective because he's got a lot of things to say in the middle of that, but he doesn't go anywhere. He's still stuck in the mud with his meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Everything is hevel, smoke thing, but that's not the end of the book. The end of the book is not the last thing the teacher says. The end of the book is the last thing that the author says. And the last thing that the author says is uh, this section in verses 13 and 14, which we'll read, so I'm not going to read through them right now, but it is sort of a statement of the gospel. It's the author is reminding that even though the, the author is seen sometimes as cynical and and has has a negative perspective on life. His perspective is actually real, and the reality of it is is that no one so far has mentioned about putting God in His proper place in your heart as the the God over your life, and how that gives you purpose, that gives you meaning, that gives you peace. Yeah. And so the author has the last word, and that's yeah. a gospel word.
1: And I and another another part that came out for me is in the last chapter as well. Um, in in verse eleven of chapter twelve it, it talks about the shepherd capital s mm-hmm. uh that uh words of wisdom, words of the wise are given by this one shepherd and uh in the New Testament, we find out who that shepherd is uh, the person Jesus Christ yep. and um, uh, in fact, he's our good shepherd mm-hmm. and uh, he gives his life for us and and so there's um just even with that one word it 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 moves us um uh, um uh, it obviously couldn't do that um, for the people at the time when it was written, other than they saw the shepherd as the coming Messiah. Uh, but we know who that Messiah is and the person of Jesus Christ, and and um, and he is full of grace and truth.
0: See, if we think of gospel as like today it's the, the sure and certain hope of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done for us. But if you think about it, before the the historical fact of Jesus being in the world. What was the gospel?
1: A promised Savior would come. It was come.
0: trusting in God's promise that He would send the Messiah. So, if you're looking at it purely in this ecclesiastical standpoint, that promise is exactly what that shepherd is about. That shepherd statement. It's saying. It's saying, we've, we've set this book up, and it should be making you kind of confront some harsh realities in your life if you're a wise person. But don't go about trying to fix everything yourself. Instead, focus on the shepherd, the Messiah who's going to come. Focus on God's promise to redeem and save uh, mankind. Um, uh,
1: another question is, do we find any kind of lasting satisfaction uh, in this book of Ecclesiastes in these opening verses?
0: I would say you tie it into that gospel message again, Uh, that's the lasting satisfaction, right? Yeah. Um, And that's a a truth that we as modern-day Christians can take away, too, is what do we find our satisfaction in? If we're finding it in anything—I mean, we can find micro-satisfactions in a smile of a child and, you know— Sunrise or sunset. Sunrise, sunset, uh, a bonus pay for a job, hard worked and well done, um, you know, measures of— uh, acknowledgement for accomplishments. Uh, these are not bad things in and of themselves. But the ultimate satisfaction has to be found. The, the we talked about micro satisfaction, but there's the macro satisfaction, the overall satisfaction, not just of you, but of you and me and everybody else and all other things in God's creation is done at the cross.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, another theme that we can talk about is the futility that we find in the world. And uh, this, this futility is talked about uh, in the opening chapters of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we see where this futility came from, and it grew out of Adam and Eve's disobedience uh, to God's command and directives. And when sin came into the world, that's what made this world so, uh, so futile and empty. Yeah. Um, it's when sin came into the world it, it uh, destroyed the relationship between Adam and Eve. it destroyed the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, destroyed the relationship between human beings and the world. Uh, the world itself was broken um, and it broken relationships and in the in the generations to come those gener- those generations are broken as well. Yeah and um so this the 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 sinfulness that was brought into this world is really what brings in this futility that mm-hmm. we that we can see all around us
0: the, the fut- that word futility is not one that has been used much recently but i think it's one that actually fits really well what a lot of people are feeling in society right now is mm-hmm. no matter whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask get vaccinated don't wear va- get vaccinated follow laws don't follow laws whether or not you protect yourself or don't like people still yeah. get sick and like
1: it, yeah so why does it you know? matter
0: yeah we had we have a member of our congregation who i believe got got the disease got well got va- got both vaccines and then immediately after getting both vaccines got sick again yeah from covid-19 it's like well what's what? the even pl- i mean yeah. yeah there's statistics and math and things which we should follow and listen to and, and that makes sense but by the same token like if if there's still a futility that nothing that you do can truly 100% assure your your health and your well-being and that that's just a microcosm of the way we feel about a lot of things in life mm-hmm. it's like when you talk about finances right it's like if you do these things you will be financially successful and people do those things and they still mm-hmm. end up
1: sometimes it doesn't work out like yeah, they planned
0: yeah going bankrupt because of its you know illness or something in their family or they get in a car accident or some you know there's no guarantees that that following the, the, best, the best practices in any given area is going to result in success in that area mm-hmm. or is going to result in peace or anything like that. And we often just feel futile because of that. It's like, why even do it in the first place? Why even do anything? You know, you get this nihilistic viewpoint or this yeah. futile uh, viewpoint. But that's where our, our trust and our hope and our confidence in God being in control Mm -hmm. gives us the only peace that can be found because you can't find peace in anything else because you'll always find these examples of futile, of futile failures, you know, against, against all odds, people fail (laughs) at things. Uh, So, and
1: and, uh, another theme that's carried through is that again, our life is like a vapor and um, you know, the, the older I get, the, you know, I look back and uh, you know, I say the same thing that many other people have said, where has my life gone? And um, um, and uh, even, you know, younger people can look back over uh, their last few years and, and think how quickly life has gone. And uh, um, at, at times it, it does seem to just disappear.
0: I was looking at a picture this morning of the, the uh, orientation of my seminary class and some of the guys I graduated from summer Greek with. And I looked at the date and it was six years ago and I was like, what? Was six years ago feels like I just was with those guys not too long ago but yeah as before I met my wife before I had my kid before I worked at King of King it's like a lot of life happens in that six years but it goes fast yeah. and it only goes faster as time goes so. yeah that's right
1: um, and so uh, again we've we've kind of brought this up how does this book point us to the future messianic king mm-hmm. Um and um, already, again, we, we see how Ecclesiastes is tied in with the rest of uh, the Bible. And, um, you know, we, we look back to Genesis 1 and see how God created the world and, and wanted people to rule over it and care for it. Uh, sin came into the world, and uh, as soon as sin came in, God in his grace and mercy um, he gave us a promise of a savior to come, uh, someone who would crush the head of satan mm-hmm. and and we find out as the the story of of, of god's God's history progresses um, uh, uh, we find that this seed becomes the promised messianic king and that's um, that's the one that we continue to look for and um, and so the the law is is always there that we we bump our heads against it, and and the life remind uh, the law reminds us that life uh, in itself, again, if we pursue these things, is is empty without God. Mm-hmm. Um, but He's given us some something else to hope for.
0: I was trying to remember exactly where it was, and I just I thought about it as we were talking about this question of of the Messiah. We in the in the book of Ecclesiastes. The the author kind of scoffingly says, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? I believe it's in Revelation where Jesus says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Mm. I can't mm-hmm. remember what passage it is exactly. I could look it up on my phone, but I won't yeah. that
1: right now. Behold, I'm making all things new as yeah. he talks about the new heaven, and new, earth.
0: new heaven and new earth. And that gives a stark contrast. Jesus is, I think, using some of the language of this to say, There's nothing on earth. There's nothing that you possess or have control over that will ever truly be a new thing. But look, I'm the one who can bring about something truly new, something truly different, something that's not futile, something that doesn't, you know that's not heaven, something that's solid that you can grab hold
1: of. And and we think about that new heaven and new earth and it's a place where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain or suffering or sickness or sadness. Um those so those new things that God gives us are going to be uh, amazing and um and fulfilling and we'll see that fulfillment and know that fulfillment because he is the author of it and um and they come again by his grace and we'll we'll thank him for that.
0: Yeah. It'll give us purpose and meaning, and absolutely joy and peace. Yeah,
1: and um, and so what? What is this book? Another theme that we we find throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. It talks about our mortality, um, um, and so the the reality is that everyone is going to die. It doesn't matter who you are.
0: Those are some of the darkest passages because I think you've got this elder Solomon at the in later years in his life, reflecting on his life and he sees himself aging he sees himself heading towards that death and so like many people do when they reach a certain age they start to contemplate you know you know this is the end of me so what does that mean you know Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be here forever what legacy do I want to leave behind I think this is one of Solomon's greatest legacies is the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs obviously is a good one too and and Mm -hmm. Uh, He's left behind a legacy for for the future generations to consider the things that he wisely considered. Uh, And so we have our own mortality ahead of us. All of us do. If you're nine years old or 90, everyone faces that. And there's no guarantees for tomorrow for anybody. And so living in that reality, instead of purely ignoring that reality, there's two things you can do. You can despair about that reality and say, woe is me, I'm going to die. What is it even worth doing anything in life if I'm just mm-hmm. going to die? Or you can conf- or you can ignore it. I guess there's three options. Or you can just ignore it and say, meh, you know, it's going to happen. I'll just get there when I get there. Or you can confront the reality and let it shape the way that you live your life today. And say, mm-hmm. I've got a certain amount of time here in this world. I want to make it count. So I'm going to do this, this, and this. That's what a wise person does.
1: Yeah, yeah uh but but everyone will die whether they're rich or poor, wise or foolish, popular or unknown. Um uh everyone is going to die, so that's the again the the realness of this book and the reality that we all face. And um and yet in the midst of knowing that we're all going to die, uh we also another theme that comes out is God's um that God is a providential God, that he still is in control of all things. Mhm. And um, and so that um, does that give us a hope? Certainly,
0: it's the only thing that can. Okay, the only thing that can give us hope is to look at things eternal, things divine, things that God has instituted.
1: Yeah, I I think this will probably come out more as we look at chapter three again, at where he talks about there's a, mm-hmm. a a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. And, um, you know, uh, God has a part of his providence is that people are born and they die. There's a time to plant, a time to to uproot, a time Mm -hmm. uh, to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh. Um, God has given us, um, you know, and and we look at this world and the, the way that God created it. Uh, there are seasons yep. and there's activities for each of those seasons and these seasons have gone on from eternity or since the creation of the world and they will continue until Christ comes again and um, and so there there are things that God would have us do uh, whether it's planting or harvesting um, uh, God, promised that these activities would happen, and they have. We can depend on them. Uh, there's there's day and night, and God wants us to work while it's day and, and rest while it's night. And um, and so God upholds all these seasons, uh, again, from creation until Christ returns. And um, those are things that we can count on as well, his providence in the midst of...
0: I'm, I'm noticing in the midst of these verses there's this this supporting evidence for the fine-tuning if you want to get into that discussion of the world and it's it's interesting because there's a fine-tuning pre-adam's fall and then there's a re tuning after it right there's because when you look at all of the example which we'll get to in chapter three like half of them are you know are things that were around before adam you know things growing and and um but then you have weeping and laughing like there wouldn't be weeping there wouldn't be there would only be laughter and joy uh you have time for war and peace there would be no war but now there is war yeah. um so there's it's an interesting sort of um image of what god has had to do to bring order once more into the chaos that we threw into the world when we fell into sin yeah and it shows god's providence to use that word that you've used already uh, his, his wisdom and oversight and his planning and his for, forbearance with us, his forgiveness, mm-hmm. um, that, that the world is ordered such that it works um, in, in the way he plans it to work.
1: Yeah, and as we, we look at the big picture of God, we know that God is ultimately bringing us to uh, uh, a new, that new place, that mm-hmm. new Jerusalem, that new heavens and new earth. And um, he is working in and through time, uh, to make that a reality. Yeah. And as, as people of God, we look forward to that. We long for that. Um, we pray it comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes we pray each day that it might come, but, yeah. um, Lord Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, we, we long for that, um, um, for his providence to be fulfilled, yeah. uh, in the way that he designed it to be, uh, as a good and gracious God. And, um, and so what does this book have to say about our time in history? And again, we've talked a little bit about that and uh, the ages to come. Um,
0: I, I look back and I, in the verses we read, there's nothing new under the sun. He uses that a couple of times yeah. in the book. It's every time somebody thinks there's some new novel way to approach life, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a new coat of paint on an old beat up truck. Yeah. It's the same thing corrupted by the sinfulness of the world and um, our our day and age is no different people look around and say oh this place is going to H-E-double hockey sticks yeah, in a handbasket yeah. and I'm like this place has been in H-E-double yeah. hockey sticks with a handbasket. Or they,
1: or they look at technology and think things are going to be great but yeah, we, or the, yeah. but we also know that te- technology doesn't always work the way we want it to
0: and, and the reality <laughs> is that the future is neither going to be utopian nor dystopian it's going to be Quite resembling of what we're in now, but with different mm. cultural norms and different technologies and stuff. Yeah. But God will, God's providence will reign regardless, and the sinfulness of mankind will seek to resist His providence regardless. Yeah. Um, and so, um, that's a, that's a guarantee because there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah,
1: and so we, uh, one of the things we sometimes talk about in the Lutheran Church, we feel that tension of this. Uh, of living in this vanity of vanities now and yet knowing that God's new heaven and earth will come and so it's what we refer to as the now not yet yep. um we know that God's promises will be fulfilled one day uh we look forward to that but we uh we suffer through we stu- struggle through um uh the fact that the things of this earth again uh will pass away and and um they're they can be empty if we if we try to make them out to be more than they are Mm -hmm. Um, but if we recognize them for what they are um, as god's good gifts um, we can be satisfied with that and we can actually enjoy our life on earth um, uh, as we recognize that the things that god gives us are are good gifts from his hand and and if things don't work out the way that we want to we we give them back to god and we say lord um, we want you to do again a new thing, uh, to direct it according to your purposes and promises um, and your ultimate fulfillment. I think
0: that's a good, a good summary of how the gospel stems from Ecclesiastes. Is that idea of, of the shepherd and and the new thing coming ahead that, that sets the the truths that the teacher is so focused on on edge because it, it overwrites the sinfulness and the brokenness of the world. It overwrites the vanity and the smoke and the. F- fog and makes it into something solid that we can grasp to in god's in god's fullness in in christ so um yeah, so we've talked about kind of the overview, and we got into chapter one a little bit. We'll be into chapter two next time, and um, and we'll go through chapter by chapter uh, over the course of this series. I think we're going to do 10 weeks on Ecclesiastes. Seems like we have said almost everything you can say about it, but there's so much more. Yeah. That's the joy of working with Solomon and, and the wisdom literature. It's like the deeper you go into it, the more you, you can yeah. glean from it. So I'm excited right. about it. Hope you are too. Um, so, should we uh, should we close in a prayer and Absolutely. be done for today? Would you close us? Sure, I would yeah. love to. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your providence and your goodness in our life. And as we uh, enter into this discussion or this uh, dialogue about the book of Ecclesiastes, I pray that you would um, send wisdom into our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, help us to be open to receiving your correction and your uh, your direction as we heed the wisdom of Solomon, which is your wisdom, Lord. We know that uh, Ecclesiastes is not always the easiest book for us to read because it's a sometimes a bitter pill to swallow. And I pray that you would help us to confront the reality of the world around us and the reality of our personal lives to seek out and drive out the things which have become in our lives false idols, that you would help us to see that they are hevel, they are meaningless, they are uh, a chasing after the wind. And I pray that you would continue to guide us to seek that which is firm, that which is uh, lasting in you. Uh, Be with us uh, and continue to guide us in this discussion that it might enliven and enrich our lives, that it might deepen our sense of purpose and our relationships with the people you've given us in our life. And then that it might also send us out into the world to proclaim the good news uh, of Christ, who is doing a new thing. We pray this all in his name. Amen.
1: Amen. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we will hope to see you next time.
0: Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.